On the show today, we look at why star Pakistan spin bowler Sayed Ajmal has been banned for chucking and what implications that could have on the game in the future. The Australian squads for the upcoming tour of the UAE against Pakistan have been named as New South Wales spinner Steve O'Keefe gets close to a test taboo. And we catch up with Tasmania wicketkeeper Tim Payne on the eve of the new domestic cricket season and a man who's going to be very important to Australia in the UAE and, of course, in the upcoming Australian summer, batsman Dave Warner. I'm Dan Lonigan on Cow Corner. Wonderful to have your company. And my old mate Pete Newlands is with us as well. Welcome, Pete. Hello, Dan. Well, another interesting week in the game of cricket. Ajmal, that's a big story, isn't it? I would Huge. really like to learn more about this. Uh, one of the best-performed bowlers in the world, if not the best-performed bowler in the world over the last five years. You could throw Jimmy Anderson into that, into that category. And he's been rubbed out at what his age of, what, 36? Not sure what the future is for him and what this means uh, for the way that the ICC is now going to approach these, these suspect bowling actions. Another player has been reported overnight, Al Amin Hussain, of a Bangladesh in the most recent test match against the West Indies. Uh, apart from all that, we've got three Australian test squads uh, um, all sorted out for the upcoming tour of the UAE where we'll play Pakistan. And I don't know where you start with that, but uh, I guess the, the main talking point was the fact that George Bailey has decided to opt out of T20 cricket to concentrate on uh, longer forms of the game. Were you surprised about that? Uh, I would say so. It's not that common for an incumbent captain to, to just back out of a team altogether. George's uh, explanation is that he wants to play more Shield cricket. He wants to get back into the test team. And even though he was picked into the test team initially out of one-day cricket, he firmly believes the only way for him to do that now is to get runs in the Shield. Good news for the Tasmanian Tigers. And he stepped out away from this upcoming this series against Pakistan and South Africa. Not sure what it means for his long-term um, future in the Australian T20 team. But maybe that'll be the end of the road for George in that format. He's very much a, an established part of the, the 50-over team. And uh, Dan Aaron Finch looks to me to be a good uh, selection as the new T20 captain. There's a guy with very little prospect, if any, of playing in the test team at the moment. So maybe he really can focus on that, uh, that, side, that form of the game. Well, he's captain the Victorian team on a few occasions. He's captain the Renegades, of course, in T20 cricket. So I, I, look, I thought he was the most logical choice. It's a pretty young, other than probably Shane Watson and Dave Warner, it's a pretty young team age-wise, that T20 squad for these matches against Pakistan and the UAE. Brad Haddon's another one, I suppose, but Finch gets his chance. He certainly cemented his spot in the team. Looking at the test side, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because Phil Hughes is there. Chris Rogers is the incumbent opener with Dave Warner at the moment. You'd think he'd get the first couple of tests, although... Spin bowling isn't his strength, although, of course, Pakistan, and we're about to talk more about that, aren't we? Yep. Uh, we'll be without the number one man, Sayed Ajmal. But Rodgers, you think, would be there at the start. Could they bat Hughes at three ahead of Doolan? Uh, Mitch Marsh has been in great form, gets his chance in the mm. test squad as sort of the bowling or batting all-rounder. And look, I'm rapt to see Steve O'Keefe get an opportunity. He's been really good for New South Wales in Shield cricket over the last couple of years. And basically, he gets in through sheer weight of wickets and to a lesser extent runs. And that's what you have to do. That's the old-fashioned way for mine. Well, I guess that maybe the key question in all of this, and there's plenty there, one of which is uh, Michael Clark's fitness, is 
Who, if they decide to play a second spinner, who will that be? Let's assume that Nathan Lyon will be the, the front-line spinner. Now, it could be O'Keefe. Obviously, it could be O'Keefe because he's in the squad. Uh, possibly Steve Smith could have an increased uh, role with the ball. And maybe that's why Glenn Maxwell, who, to me, was uh, displaying some really good long-form uh, cricket towards the end of last uh, season, uh, maybe that's where they've got Glenn Maxwell in mind. as a bit of an X-factor against Ajmal, although Ajmal won't be playing by the looks of it. And maybe he's got a, uh, offers something as a, as a second spinner. So on the turning wickets, you sort of wonder how they're going to balance up the side and the attack. So it, I think it'll be a fascinating uh, series. But as we've discussed... And we've mentioned Pakistan aren't going to have their number one bowler in their team. We need to find out more as to why that is and what that might mean long term, not just for Ajmal, but for the, the game as a whole. This is Cow Corner. This is Cow Corner with myself, Peter Newlands, and Dan Lonigan on ABC Grandstand Digital, on iTunes and on Radio Australia across the Pacific. Well, it's arguably the most contentious issue in the game. Illegal bowling actions, what exactly is one and how do you police them? This week, the ICC announced that one of the world's leading bowlers, certainly Pakistan's best bowler, Saeed Ajmal, has been suspended from international cricket pending further investigation into the legality of his bowling action. Ajmal was reported after the test match in Gaul last month against Sri Lanka and after further testing at an ICC-accredited lab in Brisbane, he's been suspended. Ajmal was also reported uh, in 2009. Osman Samuddin writes on cricket for the Pakistan from the Pakistan perspective for ESPN Crick Info and the National Newspaper and he joins us now on Cow Corner. Osman, thanks for your, very much for your time. Hi, hi guys. What is the feeling in the Pakistan cricket community uh, about this you know, very serious matter? Yeah, I think you know initially and maybe even now there was, there was a lot of anger about it. Um, you know, they, a, a lot of people felt uh, and it's just, I think it's the climate of, of the way things are. A lot of people felt that it was some kind of, some kind of conspiracy to you know, defang Pakistan and rob them of their leading bowler. And I think that's a, that's a kind of attitude I've kind of had for a while now. You know, when, when, when we had the, the spot fixing case of Muhammad Asif and Muhammad Amir as well, a lot of people felt that it was something that was being engineered to kind of hurt and harm them. But, you know, ultimately, I think you, you've got to look at it as an unemotional thing and, and, and from pure, from a scientific and, you know, technological kind of viewpoint uh, and say that, you know, okay, he's got a kink in his action and maybe that can be resolved. Uh, and, and if it's not resolved, then, you know, he's, he's not going to play for a while. Uh, are, Pakistan, are the Pakistan authorities considering any sort of appeal on this? You know, there were initially, I think, as, as always happens with Pakistan, you know, they were really badly prepared for this. They should have known from the time he was reported to the time he was being tested and when the decision was announced, Someone should have been telling them that, you know, these are your options once he is banned. So they had an option to appeal to a bowling review group, but they didn't realize. Uh, and in fact, the first statement of the Pakistan Cricket Board at the time was that they will appeal this because they feel that he has a case, uh, a medical a medical kind of condition, which, you know, which explains why he is the way he is. But uh, they didn't realize that in, in, in carrying out this appeal, they might actually risk uh, a time-bound sanction being imposed on him should the appeal fail. So I think now, you know, they've, they've sat back, they've read through the report, I doubt very much they're going to appeal now because I think they're going to take the chance that if he can have some remedial work done with Suklin and, and others, uh, then they might be able to sort of, you know, sort out any kinks in his action and, and actually get him back, uh, you know, whenever, whenever they want to try and kind of get him back. Uh, you've written in the last week that the amount of work that he does for Pakistan, it's phenomenal, averaging 50 overs per test match. And uh, mm-hmm. from, reading what, uh, from reading your work in the last week, you, the feeling might be that perhaps over the years, because of this workload, his action has somehow changed from its original form? I think, yeah, that, that's what 
the at least you know that that's what the findings of uh, I, I think the officials who were kind of testing him. I think that's what they seem to feel. You know, there might be any there might be any number of reasons why his action has changed, but I think the, the kind of diplomatic line that people are kind of going with, and it's a kind of scientific line, is that you know because he's bowled so much, 18,000 deliveries, I think 18,000 deliveries plus in international cricket since 2009 when he was last called, and 13,000 since he became sort of a regular established member of the test side and an all-format player. So, you know, that, that workload, and it's been immense. The last two years, he's been averaging 50 over the test. He's played in every uh, one-day match. He's played in every T20. He wants to play. You know, this is the thing about him is that he doesn't want to miss any kind of matches because he came to cricket so late. He came to the Pakistan side after he was 30. So, you know, he wants to kind of, and it's fair enough, you know, he wants to kind of get the best out of whatever he has left now. But um, it's put a huge, huge load on him. And certainly the feeling was, uh, with those who tested him and they compared the kind of results that they got in 2009, the feeling was that you know his his action might have struggled because you know if, if you if you think about a bowling action is never the same every single delivery you know and the more you bowl the more chances there are that you know some some kind of differences may come in so I think I, I find it a fairly reasonable explanation that you know it could be the workload that has caused him to kind of uh, have this little change in his action. What sort of damage do you think uh, this has done to the game permanently, Osman? He's not the only bowler, of course, cited for an illegal action. There's been a number in recent times. Yeah, you know, this is a difficult question in the sense that um, I'm, and this is only my personal opinion, I I don't believe there is a huge, I don't believe chucking, I I even don't like the term particularly, but I don't think it is as huge an issue uh, as as people sometimes make out. I I sometimes sense that, you know, there, there hasn't certainly been enough research done into how, uh, these these sort of different actions help how much they actually give advantage to a dusra. You know, there's been very little research done on how these uh, how these different actions, whether it's Murli Tharan's action, whether it's Ajmal's action, or anyone's action, how they actually help uh, a, a spinner, especially. I can kind of see the point that you know, if you have a fast bowler with a kick in his action, then there is the element of that threat of speed and stuff. But you know, I, I would just be more comfortable if 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 the if the ICC was taking this kind of action. You're effectively ending a, a player's career. You know, if it, if it kind of so I would be more comfortable if they came in with more background research on how exactly an action like this. And, and, and is that actually bad for the game? I mean, you know, you, you want to have some, you want to have good bowlers. I mean, I, I don't think anyone will deny that they've had fun watching Ajmal over the last five years. I think he's been a great, he's been great to watch. He's been a great player to play against. Batsmen have enjoyed playing against him. Uh, and, I, you know, it, it's just a shame that uh, because of the laws, and, and he has obviously transgressed with the law, but the, the law may be, I feel anyway that you know needs to be kind of looked at again. So we're talking about Setnaika, Williamson, uh, Shillingford, uh, Borta, and most mm. recently Al Amin Hussain of Bangladesh. Where do you think this is coming from? What's what's driving this purge? Do you think on uh, on these particular bowling actions from the ICC's point of view? I think you know I, I think it's a bureaucratic kind of thing. You, you know they've had, they've had cricket has had its kind of you know hissy fits in in previous decades with. With actions, you know, there was a very kind of moral crusade against actions in in, in the 60s, and you know, Ian McKiff, an Australian bowler, was was kind of mm. hounded out of the game because he was thought to have a. I, I, I just feel it's it's one, it's really bad, but I think this time round, it's not quite as vicious uh, uh, as that, and not even as vicious as you know what what, what people try to do with Murli, maybe. But I think this is kind of a bureaucratic thing. You know, the ICC have said, look, listen, guys, we we have a law here which says clearly that if someone to the naked eye seems like he's, he's flexing more than 15 degrees, then, you know, we should take action. Now, I think the feeling has been that in the last five, six, seven, ten years, maybe, they haven't enforced that law. 
as well. It's like a speeding law, you know, it just hasn't been enforced. And now they've suddenly decided that, listen, you know, this is something that we need to actually enforce because it is within the laws of the game. Whether or not the law is right is a different debate. But right now, this is a law. Let's start trying to enforce it. And I think now they've, they've told umpires unofficially and kind of informally that, you know, if you go out there, if you see something that you think is not right, call it, you know, and we'll test it. That's the most we can do. Uh, and if it comes out that he is, someone is flexing more than 15 degrees, then let's take the action. Osman, wonderful to catch up. Uh, it'll be disappointing for Pakistan that Saeed won't be part of that test team, but looking forward to the series. And hopefully we might be able to catch up with you during the test series on Cow Corner. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstands Cricket Show. On Cow Corner, Usman Samyuddin, one of Pakistan's leading cricket writers. And uh, Dan, look, it's just a whole lot of food for thought there. Everyone's got their own philosophical, their moral, their legal take on the whole matter. I think across the, the world, maybe this has been one of the problems with this whole matter is that different cultures, different countries, different people with different backgrounds just interpret this whole matter just a, a bit differently. The ICC have been pretty understated, I would have thought, Pete, in the way they've handled this one. Um, they've looked like they're moving on gone, it. Well, they're, they're moving on it, but they've also been understated. I mean, it was interesting talking to Osman there about the way they've gone about it, and uh, they've made sure that those who do have suspect actions, uh, that they've just gone on with it very quickly and said, well, you can't play until you get your action the way it should be, and uh, that's what they've done, which is, which is probably a good thing. It's unfortunate for Pakistan because with Saeed in the team, there'd be a chance of bowling Australia out and getting 20 wickets. Without him there, I'm not sure they've got enough depth. I think you might be right. Dan, speaking of the Pakistan series, one man who will play his part, who will be uh, one of the not that one of that small group of players, who will be in a first choice uh, eleven for Australia is David Warner. He spoke to Jim Maxwell uh, recently, and he'll be in, uh, up next on Cow Corner today. This is Cow Corner. Well, he's quick with the hands, and some say a bit too quick with the mouth at times, but he's still just about the best box office in Australian cricket. Before taking a break from the Australian team for the birth of his first child, David Warner sat down with Grandstand's Jim Maxwell for a pre-season chat. He began by talking about the way a modern player such as him assesses and prioritises a busy schedule ahead. Yeah, you have to, you know, you have to work out what um, what tournaments and what tours are are big, and and you know, every every tournament is big for us, and we want to win every game we can. And uh, we know individually we've got to try and stay up as much as we can and play at 100% and it is quite tough to do that all the time. But uh, you need to regroup sometimes and, and refocus and uh, you know put your, your, your front foot forward and, um, and get on with it and, and try and you know do your best for the team. You're making runs in all forms of the game. It was a tremendous finish to that South African series with those centuries in, in the final game. Which form of the game uh, draws the best out of you? Definitely test cricket. I think now that I've uh, adapted... Um, well, I, th- I feel that I've adapted a lot better in uh, that, that longer form of the game. I think I've understood the way to go about it. Um, I've matured a lot when I'm in. When I'm in, I'm actually going on to actually scoring the big runs. And I think that has a lot to do with maturity over the last 6 to 12 months. I think, you know, putting my head down and letting my back do the talking and, um, you know, giving giving 100% every time I go out there. I feel, you know, in the past I've I've been I've let myself down a little bit you know, off the field and uh, probably, you know, took a few shortcuts here and there. And, and, you know, you learn that and that comes with age. Yes, you're good for a quote. We know that. Uh, <laughs> have the boys said, perhaps it's time you said it to us and not to anyone else. Just keep it quiet. 
Yeah, I might have to start learning, uh, you know, a different language <laughs> so people can understand what I'm talking about. I mean, they like your honesty, but yeah. you've got to be a bit more diplomatic sometimes. Is that the message? Yeah, sometimes you do. And, um, you know, there's 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 ways of uh, translating that and there's there's ways of obviously clobbing people over the head with a one wood and uh, that's probably not the way to go about it these days. So, uh, you know, I've got to learn to bite my tongue a little bit more and then just play that aggressive nature I do on the field. Alan Turner, who opened for Australia, left-hander, played at Randwick. Uh, he said, the thing about David Warner I reckon he's improved in is he plays straight. He didn't always play straight before. Is that a fair analysis of your batting? Yeah, I have to say I've had a bit more of a, a focus playing through the V and, you know, as, as we all say, keep it simple. And that's the best way to play is play straight through the V and I think that's that's come of, of that maturity, as I said, and, and adapting to the game. I feel that I did play a little bit too square. Um, early on in my, my career and uh, now that I've actually worked it out I'm actually getting myself in line with the ball and playing down the ground and I think that's where you know, my wagon wheel suggests the last 12 months my runs have come. What do you make of this season with India here for four tests? How threatening do you think they'll be? Well look after watching the last couple of test matches uh, they've sort of you know plateaued a little bit after that first test and I feel that um, they're going to be very tired when they come to us. You know it's seven, seven eight months I think away from, from their home country they're coming straight out here to play Test match and then the World Cup. So hopefully, hopefully they're tied, and uh, you know we can we can roll them. Um, you know when we're bowling and when we're batting, we can put you know lots of runs on the board. But uh, they're a f fantastic cricket team. They've got a lot of young talent with uh, a great skipper leading them. And I feel that if we're not on top of our game, they can definitely uh, sneak through or pass the radar under the radar. Of course, the, the World Cup looms as a, a huge event at the end of the summer in February, March. Um, what are your expectations about how Australia might go? Uh, didn't perform all that well at the last World Cup. Where do they need to improve? Win the first game, I think. <laughs> I think if we can win the first game there, will give us a bit of momentum. I think um, it's always hard. The hardest thing is winning that first game. And uh, you know, when we go out there, I think everyone will see the tone that we set will be the benchmark for the rest of the tournament. And um, we're on home soil. We've got no excuse to, to not be up. We've got our own supporters here travel across the border to, to uh, Auckland to play New Zealand as well where we're going to have to be up and on our game there so if all goes well we play the brand of cricket we are capable of and what we know we're capable of we'll go a long way in this tournament David thanks for your time good luck thank you cheers the entertaining Dave Warner both on and off the field the new dad speaking to grandstands Jim Maxwell in the lead up to the series in the United Arab Emirates we spoke about it earlier one of a handful of players in all three teams, the Test, the one-day team, and the T20 side. And uh, what an important player he is. His last Test series, Pete, against South Africa. Outstanding. How will he go on those slower pitches in the United Arab Emirates? That'll be a real test because his form going into the South African series away from home had not been great. He's uh, done well there, but he probably needs to follow it up with another very good series away from home. He does. Next on Cow Corner, Dan, I'll speak to Tim Payne, whose career has somewhat plateaued over the last couple of years. This is Cow Corner. This is Peter Newlands uh, with Dan Lonigan on ABC at Grandstand Digital, on iTunes and on Radio Australia across the Pacific. Bollywood came to Bell Reeve last Friday as the Hobart Hurricanes held a farewell event ahead of the Champions Trophy T20 tournament in India later this month. There was sunshine and a generally jovial pre-season mood as the team was put through its paces by a group of local Indian dancers. Amidst the frivolity, I spoke to the Hurricanes captain, Tim Payne, about a winter spent resting, reflecting and fine-tuning his game. 
Well, Tim, this is all very exciting. Bollywood dancing and a bit of sunshine and the Hurricanes about to head off to the Champions League. What's the mood in the squad? Yeah, it's very good. Uh, I think most of the boys, Dunkey and Birdie in particular, are more looking forward to the opportunity to dance here this afternoon. But uh, the rest of us are looking forward to getting over there and hopefully giving a really good account of ourselves. Now, your uh, program over the winter was, what, mainly based here in, uh, here at home? Yeah, completely based here at home, so it's been nice. It's been um, hard work, I suppose, in the, in the cold weather and in the indoor nets, but um, I think at times that's uh, Tasmania and the hurricane strength is that the conditions we train in can sometimes be really difficult, and when summer comes around, we, we really enjoy, uh, I suppose, better conditions and uh, going to nicer places to play. But, uh, yeah, it's been tough, but um, everyone's in a really good place. Yourself, has it given you some time to take stock of your game? You weren't involved with the A, the a series, the A matches uh, in the winter. It was it, was that a positive thing in any way? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, firstly, going on holiday for, for six weeks, um, which I haven't been able to do for probably four or five years with either being away or, or injured or A tours and stuff like that. So it was really good for me to, to get away and, and freshen up. Um, I've really noticed improvement in my, my training and uh, my energy and stuff like that in the last couple of months. So I've, I've had a great time being home for, for all of the winter and, and enjoying footy on the weekends and, and things like that, which I've missed over the last four or five years. Was there anything in particular you worked on through the off-season? No, not really, not skill-wise. I think my, my biggest issue is, is getting my head right, particularly when I bat and, and being in a confident frame of mind. So I've been doing a bit of work with um, Cricket Australia Sports Psych just over the phone and, and a couple of face-to-face -face things. So I've had a real focus on um, the mental side of my game this winter, which is un or different for me. In particular, what, what aspects of the mental side of batting? I've... Well, a few, a lot of things really. Um, just I suppose a few demons that I've had with with my injury and yep. and coping with that, and you know just trying to to I suppose get have ways to to handle that when it comes back. Yeah, just just a lot of little things, but I found it really beneficial. So the demons being you're concerned about it being you know broken again? Uh, yeah, I think so. At times, is you know when you're facing guys that are bowling you know good speed, the the last thing I want to be thinking about is is my finger. Um, because then obviously I'm not, I'm not thinking about what's coming at me and I'm, I'm probably at risk of hurting it. So I've been trying to work with, with him and, and trying to come up with techniques to, to get myself back into where I need to be as quickly as possible and, um, and ways of getting that out of my mind so I can be you know, playing my best cricket. And this tournament, this Champions Trophy, how do you size up the Hurricanes' prospects? Yeah, I think um, you know, we're as good a chance as anyone. I think we've got a really good side. We've got good depth in our squad. You know, obviously missing George would have been great to have him there to, to hold our middle order together with his, his experience and, and skill with the bat. But um, you know we've been lucky to hold on to Hilfenhaus and, and Dunk, which you know certainly strengthens our side. And uh, I think if you look at our bowling attack going over there in in this type of um, weather conditions like it is in India, I think you know Hilfi and, and Doug Bollinger and guys at like this who can swing the ball will hopefully get us off to good starts and our, our pace attack can do some damage. There's Tim Payne, who's had uh, his share, probably more than his share of bad luck, and uh, we wish him well through uh, the seasons to come. Now, this Champions Trophy competition, Dan, uh, the Hur yep. Hobart Hurricanes play their first game against the Kings Eleven Pujab, uh, ironically captained by George Bailey himself, and that'll be on uh, Thursday, September 18 in Mahali. The uh, Scorchers, they play the Dolphins from South Africa, and that's also in Mahali, and that's on the 20th of September, so a tournament to to watch out for. Now we've been talking about the the Australian teams to go to Pakistan, and three squads have been named. There's a lot of names there, but uh, there's only a select handful of players down who've made it to all three. Can you tell me who they are, please? Well, I'm going to start with Mitch Marsh because that's a real sign, Pete, that Mitch Marsh is coming. We know he's got the talent, just starting to put it together now. And um, look, I don't think it'll be long, provided he can stay fit. 
and concentrate in his cricket that uh, he'll be a permanent member of all three. Brad Haddon is the wicketkeeper of all three. Uh, you've also got Glenn Maxwell, Mitchell Stark, Shane Watson and Dave Warner. So uh, they're the players that are a permanent part of the Australian team in all three forms, in all three squads for this series of the United Arab Emirates. As I say, Mitchell Marsh, probably the most significant because uh, he's still very young, but obviously very talented. There's one for the, for a bit of barroom talk. Name the six players, seven players in yep. all three Australian squads. Before we go out today, Dan, it's the uh, great cow corner tradition, the stat of the week, and I've got what I think is a good one. Gloucestershire yeah. playing Leicestershire. They're always good. They're still playing in the county championship. They're still going. Now, in a game between Gloucestershire and Leicestershire, Gloucestershire made 646. But in that uh, total of 646, there was a hat-trick from Atif Sheik of Leicestershire. In the 112th over, he took a hat-trick. That is the highest ever score of a team total in which there has been a a hat-trick taken. The previous highest was back in the 1920s. It was 579. So it's now up to 646. 646 all out, including a hat-trick to as Atif Sheik of Leicestershire playing his third first-class game. It keeps Amazing. On Amazing. One of the best ones you've done, people. That's Thank Cow you, Corner for another week. Plenty happening in the world of cricket. We'll catch you again next week.